Oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Every day, British Columbians are waking up in our province and finding it harder to get by under this government. Despite two straight election promises with big promises about affordability, life has never been more expensive than under the NDP. But this government has no plan to put people's worries at ease. And many families are ask, actually asking themselves how they will continue to be able to afford to live in our province. We have seen four straight months of high inflation. And that's because things like housing and gas and food are getting more expensive day after day after day. And with the latest climate disaster in our province, we're already seeing the price of everything increase because our supply chains have taken a significant and devastating blow. So will the minister tell British Columbians exactly what this government is going to do to ensure that they can take care of their families? Tell them how they're going to be able to continue to afford to pay for increasing gas and food and housing. British Columbians deserve that. This, go this government promised it and have simply failed to deliver. So where's the plan? Minister of Finance. Thank you very much. I can agree with the member that uh, things have gotten more difficult since COVID, for, sh for sure. They've certainly, they certainly have. But I also want to remind the member, and I want to remind everyone in this House, and I want to remind British Columbians, that when they sat over here, they gave tax breaks to the wealthiest 2% and made everyone else pay for it. And I want to remind everybody what that, what that meant for uh, ordinary British Columbians. What that meant was that their MSP health premiums doubled. So what did we do? We eliminated them. in people's pockets. Mr. Speaker, ICBC car insurance, when they were on this side of the house, went up 30%. And what do we have now? We, we actually have ICBC uh, have, has a surplus, Mr. Speaker. And not only that, it was able to give rebates, checks, not one, but two. Mr. Speaker, we've also introduced the Child Opportunity Benefit that provides up to $2,600 for families with two kids. That's making a difference and putting money into people's pockets. Yeah. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, thanks very much. You know, the Minister can stand up and all her colleagues can clap. But there are families today in British Columbia who want an answer from this Minister and this Government about exactly how they're going to pay for their groceries tomorrow morning. That is on this government's shoulders. This is a two-term government that made big, glossy promises, big brochures about how life was going to get better. And they have simply failed to deliver. British Columbians are struggling. And that answer just doesn't cut it. Minister can try taking a victory lap all she wants, but let's look at some of the, the, the numbers that British Columbians are facing. Does the minister know that since the pandemic started, the cost of getting chicken at the grocery store has gone up by 17%, and for beef, it's 20%. Housing prices are at an all-time high. And in fact, the elusive dream of owning a home is disappearing 
It takes 34 years in British Columbia to save for a down payment on a house if you live in Vancouver. And there has been no action whatsoever on tackling gas prices, despite getting promises three times from the Premier. Our supply chains have been so drastically impacted by the latest disaster that the Royal Bank of Canada said things are going to continue to get worse. British Columbians deserve a better answer than that. And what they deserve is a plan. They deserve support and help and this government to keep the promises it made during two election campaigns. So to the minister again, maybe this time she can look British Columbians in the eye and tell them how they're going to pay for their groceries tomorrow. Minister of Finance. Mr. Speaker, well, thank you very, very much. And I, I want to thank the member for, for the question because I really think it's absolutely fascinating to hear from this member their newfound interest in the struggles of ordinary people. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, they had a server wage in restaurants, Mr. Speaker. We got rid of that. Members, we increased the minimum wage. The in member fact, had Mr. already Speaker, asked the question. Wages are up 21 percent since we formed government. Mr. Speaker, we made transit free for children. You know what else we did? We took tolls off bridges. What I want to say is, thank goodness it's us on this side of the house and not the people over there. Member for Camelot, South Thompson. Uh, well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Not only has this government uh, broken its promise on, a, on affordability, uh, but they're also breaking the Premier's promise to not download costs onto small businesses, especially uh, those that can least afford it. Now, we're, we're still in the pandemic, uh, uh, but in 39 days, 39 days, the NDP are cutting sick leave funding for workers and businesses, and they're putting the entire cost on businesses that are, again, hanging by a thread. Yesterday, in the Q2 report, the government confirmed that $310 million budgeted for sick leave will be unspent and returned to general revenue. So my question to the Minister of Labour is this. Instead of letting this $310 million sick pay funding expire in 39 days, uh, will the Labour Minister today commit to extending government paid sick leave so that it doesn't expire at the end of the year? Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And I think uh, the fact that uh, in my Q2 report yesterday, what we saw uh, around the, uh, the, the sick pay was the fact that British Columbians recognize that you take sick time only when you need it. And we prepared uh, as part of our pandemic contingencies uh, to make sure that we had uh, resources available to support uh, British Columbians as we go through uh, COVID, making sure that, that we had uh, the, the, the resources uh, to make sure that uh, there was uh, uh, support for, so that workers didn't have to go to work sick. And I think everyone in this House agrees how important that is. But what we saw, Mr. Speaker, was that British Columbians recognize uh, that you, you uh, only take sick time when you need it. And I think we can all rest, be comforted by the fact that workers know what they need to do in order to keep themselves and to keep their colleagues and to keep their customers safe. Member for Cambridge, Saul Thompson, supplemental. 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, uh, we agree that workers shouldn't have to go to, uh, to work if they're sick. Uh, that's why we supported uh, the, sick, the sick leave plan. But we're also going to uh, ensure that the, that the Premier and that this government are held accountable for the commitments uh, that were made to ensuring that the, the, the costs of sick leave um, we're not going to be uh, thrown entirely onto the shoulders of, of small businesses in this province. Um, again, in only 39 days, uh, employer paid sick leave comes uh, into effect and workers and, and employees still have absolutely no idea what will be implemented. Uh, the Premier's specific commitment around this was crystal clear. Uh, he said, and I quote, we're looking at how we can implement sick pay in a seamless way without putting more burden on business at a time when business can least afford it, uh, end quote. Mr. Speaker, government should do what, what we've, been, we've been doing through this session. There, there's, there's been an extension of a, of a variety of COVID measures. The government should be taking the opportunity immediately to eliminate all uh, uncertainty and, and concern and anxiety out there with, with small businesses and workers, and they should roll over uh, this, this program. They should roll over the $310 million available and continue uh, the current government-funded program until uh, businesses in this province are fully recovered. So again, um, very simple uh, question, looking for a, a straightforward answer from the Labour Minister. Uh, will the Labour Minister extend the $310 million for government paid sick leave that, fail, uh, if it isn't extended, is going to expire in only 39 days. Minister of Labour. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank the, uh, the member for, for his question. Uh, Mr. Speaker, among many lessons that we learned during the pandemic, one was that the workers were forced to go to work when they were sick. They brought virus to workplace, and that virus spread among the workers. And in many cases, businesses had to be shut down. In, in, in Fraser Health alone, in April and May, two months, over 180 businesses were Members. shut down, some of them more than once. And Mr. Speaker, those workers at workplaces when they, when, they, when, they were, when they became sick, they went home to live with their families and their communities. Mr. Speaker. Members, question was asked. Let's listen to the answer. It's okay. Let's listen to the answer. Wait for him till he finishes. Member. Mr. Speaker, it doesn't surprise me that sometimes when it even looks like something that is a benefit to the workers, they light their hair on fire, Mr. Speaker. Well, let me tell you this. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, there is an economic cost of her not having paid sick leave in place, Mr. Speaker. And, Mr. Speaker, the Members. seniors advocate, in her report last two, three weeks ago, I urge okay. all of you to read that. Mr. Speaker, she said that the workers, because they didn't have paid sick leave, they came to work sick. And then they, Mr. Speaker, spread that to the patients and to the workers. Therefore, Mr. Speaker, many deaths. So there's a human cost, there's an economic cost, Mr. Speaker, for not having paid sick days. Mr. Speaker, we're going to do the right thing. We listen. We have consulted widely, Mr. Speaker. 60,000 60, surveys came back. And you know what, Mr. Speaker? Both workers and businesses are worried, they're concerned that the people went to work sick. Mr. Speaker, we're going to make it right so the workers don't have to choose to go to work sick or stay home and lose money. Thank you.
Can we get to the next person? Leader of third party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Coastal GasLink has been found to have violated multiple environmental requirements over the past year and a half. Over the course of constructing their natural gas pipeline in Wet'suwet'en territory, CGL's failures to comply with environmental requirements have resulted in damaged habitat, eroded waterways, and the contamination of watersheds and pollutants, with pollutants. Inspections in late 2020 by the Environmental Assessment Office found that coastal gas sink activities are harming watersheds. In early 2021, independent erosion and sediment control auditors found that CGL was violating eight out of nine requirements. Coastal GasLink have failed to reclaim and restore the waterways that they have polluted. The company's infractions have impacted Indigenous rights as well. In July, Coastal GasLink was issued a warning after wrongly blocking a Wet'suwet'en woman from attempting to monitor pipeline construction in her territory. My question, Honourable Speaker, is to the Minister of Environment and Climate Change. On the one hand, the RCMP have eagerly enforced an injunction on behalf of CGL and this government's fossil fuel expanding agenda. And at the same time, there have been multiple instances of environmental violations on the CGL pipeline since construction began with little or no enforcement. What will the minister do to ensure timely enforcement of these environmental violations? Minister of Environment and Climate Strategy. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. Uh, Coastal GasLink, as part of its environmental assessment uh, certificate, has to abide by a number of conditions, has to continue to abide by those conditions. Uh, staff and inspectors that are part of the Environmental Assessment Office have regularly conducted inspections. They have issued orders. They have issued directions. When they found those directions uh, were not being complied with, they upped the level of inspection and they have issued uh, um, more orders and are now uh, going through the process of considering the application of administrative penalties to make the point. We take the conditions on the certificate seriously. I continue to be briefed by staff, but I don't take over the role of staff in ensuring that an orderly application of orders and ultimately penalties if required are administered. Leader of the third party, supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, administrative penalties, but no police raids yet, I understand. It's clear that this company has been harming the environment, and this government has abdicated its responsibility to the public interest. This abdica abdication extends to basic charter rights, too. Last week, two journalists were illegally arrested when reporting in Wet'suwet'en territory. They were jailed for the entire weekend and only released yesterday. We're now learning that the RCMP had been tracking these specific journalists, which makes it very hard to understand how the police were saying we didn't know that they were journalists when we arrested them. Hmm. Yesterday, more than 40 news outlets and journalists signed a letter directed to the Minister of Public Safety of this House calling on him to uphold the rule of law and ensure that police actions are not infringing on press freedom. This isn't the first time this government has restricted press freedom. 
the summer enforcement of media exclusion zones at Ferry, zone, at Ferry Creek was found to be unlawful. And I think all of us, no matter where we stand on these issues, should be deeply concerned mm -hmm. because the role of the media and press freedom in democracy is essential. And we don't want to have these continuing stories where we are looking very much not like a democratic country in the way the press are being treated here. My question for you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Minister of Public Safety and the Solicitor General and Deputy Premier. He has said that press freedom is important. And yet what we have seen in this province this year tells a very different story. What will he do to ensure that the charter-protected freedom of the press, recently reiterated by Justice Thompson in a BC Supreme Court decision, is upheld in this province? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for, for the, uh, the question. Um, and I have to take issue with a, a couple of points. The first being, government has not infringed uh, on freedom of the press. Uh, freedom of the press is a fundamental uh, foundation of our democratic system in this province and in this country, and continues to be so, and we take that very seriously. The second point that I would also make is that uh, when it comes to the enforcement uh, of a court-ordered injunction, uh, that is done by the police. It is not directed by myself as a Solicitor General, and as I have said before in this House, nor should it be. What I can also tell the, uh, the member, uh, that when it came to the issue of the, uh, the journalists, uh, that went um, uh, in, the appropriate, in the appropriate place in terms of the, uh, of, of the court, uh, who issued a, uh, an, 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 a decision uh, around bail uh, and the undertaking, uh, which the, uh, the journalists um, agreed to do, uh, and they were subsequently released. So in other words, so in other words, the judicial process uh, worked uh, appropriately, uh, and that's as it should be, not being directed by politicians. Member for Peace River South. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. So weeks ago, weeks ago, the Premier said businesses impacted by the Northern Circuit Breaker, quote, still have opportunities to access provincial programs. End quote. But here's the problem. There are no programs right now. There's nothing for them. They all closed. Once again from this government, false hope for people and businesses that are struggling. And the regional health restrictions, the circuit breaker that's been announced, has now been extended indefinitely. That means no hope for many. The Premier said that this Minister of Jobs would be quoting quote, observing the activities in the region, end quote. What does that mean? We need people to not be observing. We need this minister to be doing his job. We need this minister to be supporting businesses who need help now. So a very simple question to the minister. Will the minister of jobs commit today to new circuit breaker programs for northern businesses that are struggling? Minister of Jobs and Economic Recovery. Thank you. Uh, 
Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and uh, certainly uh, it's been highlighted that uh, there are some businesses that, uh, uh, throughout the province that are still uh, struggling throughout the pandemic. Uh, the members uh, know, because uh, we canvassed this yesterday as well, part of uh, another debate, that uh, the measures that have been put in place in Northern Health uh, are uh, similar to ones that were put into uh, some of the Fraser Valley as well. Uh, and the major restriction that's been put in place right now is that liquor can't be served past 10 o'clock. Restaurants can continue to function. Restaurants can have continue to have people visiting them. Restaurants can continue to serve food past 10 o'clock, but they cannot serve alcohol past 10. And so we appreciate that has some impacts, but we've also offset that impact by reducing liquor pricing for businesses by 20%. So they're making more money on liquor sales now than they have ever made. This, and they've been advocating for that for 10 years, Honourable Speaker. Members on the other side will know because they knocked on their doors several times asking for that. And so we have lowered their costs, but we know because of the pandemic um, and the high case counts and the loss of life that measures were needed to be put in place. And that's why there are their moderate measures and certainly our hope is that, uh, that the vaccination rates continue to rise, that cases continue to fall, so that we can relieve those uh, moderate measures so that people can return to uh, a normal which they're comfortable with. Member for Peace River South Supplemental. Thank you. So I'm trying to figure out and, and figure out why this minister wants to treat different parts of the province differently. Last time there was a circuit breaker announced, we made sure unanimously in this house, we all got together to make sure there were programs and supports for struggling employers and families. It was very easy to do. It was easy to do then. Now we've announced another circuit breaker that is hurting families and employers, and this minister is sitting on his hands. He's doing nothing to help them. Even yesterday in this house, he quoted, this is certainly not a circuit breaker. End quote. It's almost like he's trying to play a word game to avoid helping people because exactly what Dr. Henry said when she announced these restrictions, and I quote, it's a circuit breaker. So is Dr. Henry right? Is it a circuit breaker? Is the minister right? This is not a circuit breaker. It doesn't matter. The employers and the families are hurting and need help now. Even arts groups up in the region right now are seeing the curtain drop and they're losing and losing another part of a busy time of year for them where they could be operating. To make it worse, to make it worse, the government has said now there's no end date for this circuit breaker. No hope for these people. The government has an opportunity. This Minister of Jobs has an opportunity today to give hope to these struggling people. Will he commit to stop just observing and actually do his job introduce a circuit breaker program and help these struggling families and businesses. Minister of Jobs. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And, uh, and I remind the member that we have provided the highest per capita supports for people and businesses in the entire country. And, In fact, in fact, Honourable Speaker, can we move on with the answer now? 
Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, I'll say it again. We have provided the highest per capita support for people and business in the country. In fact, the recent budget had additional supports. By the way, the members didn't support it, didn't support the additional measures that we put in place, which was a shame, Honourable Speaker. And the member also uh, is uh, not clear. When he refers to the circuit breaker, which we put significant dollars on the table, was when businesses were... Members... It was at a time when businesses were shut down, Honourable Speaker. Businesses couldn't serve patrons inside their establishment. They had only takeout. They couldn't serve any alcohol. We had complete shutdowns. And that's when the, uh, the historic amount of dollars, the $528 million that we supported, $22 million in grants directly going into the pockets of businesses in their communities, Honourable Speaker. And so to compare the circuit breaker... Members... members. Honourable Speaker, the, 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 the Leader of the Official Opposition loves to heckle, and this is an important question, I'd like to provide the answer. Members, it's important that we listen to the Minister now. Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, as I already have highlighted, I'll say it again, the measures that we've put in place, the, the measures that the Provincial Health Office has put in place are very moderate measures to ensure that case counts come down. The core point of what's being done is to save lives, Honourable Speaker. Businesses... The, the, the Leader of the Official Opposition is correct. We have supported them the entire way. This year, the opposition wasn't with us. They didn't support the additional measures for communities. They did not support. They did not vote in favor of that, Honourable Speaker. We continue to support businesses. Businesses can continue to operate, Honourable Speaker. They can serve food. They just can't serve alcohol past 10 o'clock. Thank you. Member for Nechako Lakes. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. In the gallery today are hardworking men and women of the forest sector, and they represent tens of thousands of workers across this province. Amanda Shortreed, who, who co-owns West Pro Logging, writes that the Minister's deferral announcement has had immediate consequences. And I quote, much to our shock and dismay, we found out that one and a half weeks ago, that much of our winter plan has now been deleted, end quote. I've received hundreds of emails from across the province, as I know the Minister has as well, of similar stories. The government has already admitted that because of their policies, thousands of workers are going to be out of work. Can the Minister tell the people in the gallery if they will be one of them? Mr. Forrest. I want to th uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I want to thank the member for the question, and, and I also want to uh, welcome the uh, families to the gallery here today, and I understand their concerns. I do understand their concerns because uh, I also went through the concerns of the forest industry back in, under the, pre the member's oh, government when 30,000 people lost their jobs in the forest industry. Members. And under our watch, we are ensuring there will be supports in place. Order, please. Order. Minister, continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
We do have a vision for force in this province, and our vision ensures that workers and communities benefit from secure, innovative forestry jobs for generations to come. I want to make sure that we have a forest industry that is sustainable, resilient, and that our kids and grandkids can not only work in today if they so choose, but they can work in it for generations to come. And we have to make changes in the forest industry, but we will be there to support families who are in forestry-dependent communities. Member from Lake Supplemental. Thank you, uh, Honourable Chair. And, uh, According to Stats Canada, more than 10,000 10, forestry job gains between 2009 and 2017, and they've all disappeared now under this government. And quite frankly, Mr. Speaker, that answer that the minister just gave is cold comfort to the good, hardworking folks that are in the gallery here today. Let's listen to the question, please. There Member are 13 families, 13 families that rely on West Pro logging. And as Amanda says, and I quote, the way in which this has been handled and implemented has been irresponsible, hasty, and quite frankly, shady. I don't trust that you will be there to help anyone. I'm sad, I'm scared, I'm worried for my family and for the families that rely on us, end quote. And I can tell you, Mr. Speaker, I doubt there's very many people on that side of the House that have ever signed the front side of a paycheck. I have, and I can tell you, that the stress that you go under in trying to make sure that you can provide for your workers and make sure that they have a job is enormous. Members, please. So can the minister tell these families why she is so determined to put them out of work? Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and I, I really want to um, acknowledge the workers in the gallery, but I also want to say that I'm really quite concerned about the misinformation that is being spread by this member. I Members, order! Unlike the other side of this have the House here, uh, we will be supporting members, and we will be supporting workers we will be supporting communities that will be impacted by these potential deferrals, deferrals that have not been made yet. We will have a set of comprehensive suite of supports for people, including connecting workers with, with other employment opportunities, providing education and training opportunities. Members. Members will be quiet now. Yes, funding uh, those people that are interested in bridging to retirement, which was widely, widely uh, oversubscribed. Order. Minister. Members, let's show some respect to the family, please, and the workers. Listen to the answer. Yes. Calm down. Calm down. Take a deep breath. It's not the end of the world. Let's listen so, to the answer. Sure enough, member. Minister will continue. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Yes, we know that there is interest in uh, bridging to retirement because it was well subscribed in 2019 when we did the same program, when there was a turn in the industry. But we are also supporting new infrastructure projects and, and innovation in rural communities, so there are opportunities for employment. We are going to work in collaboration with, with local communities, with workers, for, with contractors, and with industry to ensure we get this right, because this is critical for jobs today, but also for jobs in the future. Thank you.